Hello, this is Martin Wolf, Chief Economics Commentator of the Financial Times, with my podcast. Why dealing with a huge debt overhang is so hard. January the 27th, 2009. How much debt is too much? Nobody knows. But the governments of highly indebted high-income economies, such as the US and UK, think they know the answer. More than today. They want even more credit to flow to their struggling private sectors. Is that an attainable ambition? And if so, how might it be achieved? Let us start with some facts. The ratio of US public and private debt to gross domestic product reached 358% in the third quarter of 2008. This was much the highest in US history. The previous peak of 300% was reached in 1933 during the Great Depression. Nearly all of the current debt is private. That reached an all-time high of 294% of GDP in 2007, a rise of 105 percentage points over the previous decade. The same thing happened to the UK on a yet more impressive scale. This has been a truly gigantic debt and credit expansion. Particularly remarkable is the composition of the increased debt. In the early 1930s, most U.S. private debt was owed by non-financial companies, so balance sheet deflation occurred in companies, as was also the case in Japan in the 1990s. This time, however, the big increase in debt was in the financial and household sectors. Over the past three decades, the debt of the U.S. financial sector grew six times faster than nominal GDP. The consequent increases in its scale and leverage explain why, at the peak, the financial sector allegedly generated 40% of U.S. corporate profits. Something decidedly unhealthy was going on. Instead of being a servant, finance had become the economy's master. In a superb brief account of today's calamity, Lord Turner, chairman of the UK's Financial Services Authority, refers explicitly to, I quote, illusory profits. Moreover, household debt, much of it directly associated with housing, also rose rapidly, from 66% of US GDP in 1997 to 100% in 2007. A slightly bigger jump in household indebtedness can be seen in the UK. What do such rises in indebtedness portend? The answer might be nothing. After all, over the world, debt nets to zero. In principle, the ability to transfer purchasing power from lenders to borrowers is highly desirable. As a British advertising campaign once claimed, credit, I quote, takes the waiting out of wanting. End of quote. Yet people can also make big mistakes, particularly if they confuse bubbles with permanently high prices. The financial sector is particularly prone to making such blunders. As Carmen Reinhardt of the University of Maryland and Kenneth Rogoff of Harvard comment, I quote, systemic banking crises are typically preceded by asset price bubbles, large capital inflows, and credit booms in rich and poor countries alike, end of quote. Once such asset bubbles burst, it becomes hard to find borrowers and lenders who are either willing or creditworthy. 
the over-indebted start paying down their debts instead, as now. Desired savings also soar. Realized savings may not rise, however. Incomes may collapse instead. This is what John Maynard Keynes called the paradox of thrift. The result will be a slump caused by balance sheet collapse rather than attempts to control high inflation. What then might be done? Some recommend a liquidation. A chain of bankruptcy would indeed eliminate a debt overhang, as happened in the 1930s. But with much of the economy enmeshed in bankruptcy and the financial sector imploding, a depression would result. To choose that option must be insane. Less unappealing is organised mass bankruptcy. Proposals for an organised debt-for-equity swap in failed or enfeebled financial institutions fall into this category. So too does allowing courts to modify mortgage contracts. Executed efficiently and expeditiously, such ideas are attractive. Costs would fall on shareholders and creditors, not taxpayers, and so sustain the principle of private responsibility. An opposite approach is to sustain existing levels of debt by slashing its cost to borrowers and trying to grow out of it over many years. This is what current monetary policies seek to achieve. It is a good idea, however unpleasant to creditors, but this would not generate much additional borrowing or fresh spending. It would not stop the indebted from trying to lower their debt and it would not restore the financial sector to health. Yet another approach is to replace private debt with public debt. That is what recapitalization of banks now means. Over time, private sector debt should fall, while public sector debt, explicit and implicit, rises. Socializing debt increases the chances of growing out of it. That has happened before, notably in the case of UK public debt over the course of the 19th century. Finally, there is inflation. If central banks and governments are aggressive enough, they can generate inflation, which will lower the debt burden. But they will imperil, if not terminate, the experiment with unbacked fiat, or man-made money, that started in 1971. So which is the best approach? At the overall level, it must largely be to grow out of the debt overhang, with socialization of a part of it an essential element. Relapsing to inflation will be a huge policy failure. A plan is also needed to deal with the plight of many households and with the overextended and undercapitalized financial sector. The financial sector as a whole cannot deleverage by selling assets. It would be helpful if claims of global financial institutions could be netted out instead, though that would require international cooperation. The Obama administration must soon launch a recapitalization of U.S. banking, but not by buying the toxic assets at above-market prices. A debt-equity swap would be preferable. If that is politically impossible or too destabilizing, publicly financed recapitalization is inevitable. Just do not dare to call it nationalization. Whatever is done, one compelling truth cannot be evaded. It is going to be very hard to generate substantial net borrowing by households and non-financial corporations in high-income countries with high internal debt. 
It is unimaginable that they will return to levels of private sector borrowing, spending and increases in debt that characterize these countries for so long. Countries with large current account surpluses have long demanded an end to the profligate borrowing and spending of the customers on whom they depended. They should have been careful what they wished for. They have now got it. Enjoy. This podcast is available at www.ft.com forward slash wolf podcast. My columns are available at www.ft.com forward slash wolf. Goodbye.